I'm James Batchelor from Gameburst, and you're listening to Big Red Potion. Now drink up, so you'll become big and strong like these guys. Brought to you by Gamernode and the Unified Gamers Network, you are listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that has one up on all the other players. I am Sinan Kuber, your bona fide host, and I'm joined this evening by two special guests, as well as two of our regular elite. So, to my left, the familiar voices of Jeffrey Matleff, freelance critic. Hey, Jeff. Hi, guys. And Eddie Inzato, Game and Director. Hey, Eddie. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> That's more yo's than necessary, <laughs> Um, but it's good to have you on board. Uh, to my right, then, the welcome voices of the returning senior editor at GameCritics.com. I got it right this time. It is Mr. Brad Galloway. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. Thank you for coming back, Brad. And uh, also uh, to my right, and new to Big Red Potion, it is the voice of Chrono Ludic. I had to think about pronunciation at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, blogger and podcaster Chris Green. Hello, Chris. Hello, everybody. Uh, good to have you, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Okay, uh, so today we are talking about Nier, a whole show dedicated to Nier. Nier is the app, the uh, April 2010 action role-playing game developed by Caviar and published by Square Enix for PS3 and Xbox 360. And if you listen to our Game of the Year show, you'll know that a few of us Big Red Potioners think quite highly of it. The last time we dedicated the show to a game was Heavy Rain. Do you remember that, Eddie? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. We well, and In fact, now that I think about it, we dedicated two and a half shows <laughs> to it, and um, most of that was spent kind of being kind of hard on the game. So uh, I felt, and I think we all felt, that it would be a good idea to spread a bit more positivity with our next game-focused show. And uh, hence we chose Nier. That's not to say all five of us are absolutely in love with the game, because I know some of us here have quite a few criticisms of it. But uh, at least our mums won't be wagging their fingers at us, telling us that we shouldn't have said anything at all. So on <laughs> on to Nier, and the uh, I think the best place to start with Nier, guys, is the uh, the spectrum of opinion, not just from us, but from uh, the critics and fans in general. Because according to Metacritic, the uh, industry barometer that we uh, love to hate uh, in the gaming industry, the, the score that it sets it at is at 67. Although I noticed, Chris, before we started the show, you tweeted that uh, Metacritic is essentially the place that uh, collects scores that have different meanings. And yeah, <laughs> uh, which I, I think is a, a fair point to, to take. But um, in any case, what Metacritic says 67 equates to is mixed or average. I, I would well, I mean, you know, it's good that someone at least agrees with Topware, but what I would say is that, uh, you know, 67 is above average in my book, but in any case, I would agree that the reviews are mixed. I think we probably didn't know. Would you guys say, looking at the the Spectrum reviews or what you what you read at the time and or read since, would you say that there was quite a, a wide spectrum of opinion on there? Um, Eddie, Eddie, you would want to, someone who reviewed it recently, start with you, because you... you did review recently and gave it quite a high score. Uh, what did you think of the kind of the spectrum of opinion on there? Well, there is there's clearly a range. I'm looking at it now. We have 
<laughs> low end of 42 all the way up to 90. And I mean, I think that just sort of speaks to the the unconventional nature of the game and how it's different from a lot of things that you normally see. And, you know, some people uh, enjoy that and others are, are a little bit more resistant, I think. To follow up on that, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think uh, scanning the reviews really quick, and this kind of jibes with what I thought before, it, it seems to me, and this is, of course, a gross generalization, but people who were expecting AAA production values or who wanted something that would fit neatly into one single genre seem to be at the bottom of the scale, while people who were more open to uh, interesting experiences seem to, to land at the top. And that that makes sense to me. I mean, I can certainly see someone walking into this expecting uh, a lot of polish, a lot of flash, a lot of CG, especially since it was put out by Square Enix, and then walking away thinking, what the hell was that? So it makes sense to me. You know, I think that Chris made a good point earlier about how Metacritic is full of people with, with different sales. I remember one of the a really good opening line I read to Nier review was from the, the GamePro article where they gave it a 7, but the first line was that Nier is a, an average game in, in most ways, which makes it all the stranger that I fell completely in love with it. Which to me sounds like it might be higher than a 7 based on some scales, but I can understand why they, they went that direction. But you're not going to get a numerical value. So I think it was just a very divisive game, even within people's own minds, rather than looking at a whole aggregate score. Yeah, I mean, I, I've... I actually think that's a, a, an interesting point. Um, I, I would have, if I had to review it, felt a bit uncomfortable about where I'd put mine if I had to give a numerical score to it because certainly I can see the criticisms of it. Um, what Brad was saying a lot, actually, in terms of... Well, that actually reminds me of what we were talking about last week with uh, with what Michael Abbott said in his recent post about technical sort of frontline problems that prevent you from getting further into a game and I'm sure we'll probably talk on that a bit more but uh, I would I would suggest Nier has a, has a bit of that and uh, I would feel as much as I, I have a lot to, to say in praise of the game I would feel obligated to you know bring in the criticisms into to that score because they did make that opening sort of four hours for me very difficult uh, do you think that that I mean, the, the, we have to kind of bring it up. Justin McElroy obviously had his failed review of, of, of Nier where he got stuck on the fishing after four hours. And I, I don't know, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I'm just hung up on how he struggled so badly um, for something which I don't know. And I mean, it doesn't say much of him as a reviewer to kind of, you know, bail on it based on that, does it? I don't know. Perhaps it's just me, but... I mean... He could have bought the map. <laughs> I mean, there there was either the make the video that he made or buy the map. So, you know. Well, very true. If if you look at some of his criticisms, um, it seems like he must have changed some settings in the menu before he started because a lot of the things that really irked him were things that you had to actually go and physically change, um, like removing the life bars from from the enemies and that kind of thing. And you're exactly right. I mean, if you bought the if you bought the map, there was like a giant red x i mean it took me literally like i think like two minutes to complete that quest and 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 as a reviewer i mean i don't know what his process is but you know at, at our site that wouldn't have been acceptable at all i mean i would have made whoever was writing that review do some research contact the publisher you know find out what was going on to see what the issue was and for him to go off and make that video trashing the game solely based on the fishing I thought it was really irresponsible, and also I think it's really unfortunate that it got a lot of traction because that was all anybody knew about Nier for the longest time. Yeah, I'll admit to that. That's all I knew about it until um, I think you put me onto it, Brad. And then I realized how wrong I was. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've got to say it was it was it was the first time I heard of the game was was that as well. But I remember Jeff, you were playing at the same time, and you immediately pretty much got in, in touch with Justin to say, "Well, no, you just need to get past that." Is that right? I can't remember actually. I remember thinking that I can't actually contacted him or not. I think a lot of people did contact him. Um, and you know, in fairness, he did say on the, the Joystick podcast that he he tried to play it a little bit more later and. It, it still didn't click with him. And the whole time he was talking about it, I wanted to defend it because, again, there were so many times where there were options to fix that, like the health bars, as Brian was saying, which were actually off by default, so I could understand what he was getting at. Um, you have to add them. Uh, there, were, there was that one temple where you had to walk slowly. That was really frustrating. But for me, it only held me up for a few minutes. Although, I, I can totally get where he's getting at because I'll, I'll admit this. It's, it's been about a year. I think the, the statute has passed. That is the one place in the game where I actually did have to look up outside help. I was reviewing it for G4 and... I was fortunate enough to get a copy after the game had been released. And maybe I had a little bit more time, but I was kind of on a hard deadline with that review. So I just said, after 15 minutes, okay, I really hate to do this. I know this is kind of biasing me, but I need to get past this bar and move on. So I can I can see how that would flavor him. I do give him kudos for trying again, but um, maybe I think he just hit too many little road bumps that um, unfortunately fell in his way. I mean, I also got stuck there at the fishing for a minute. Uh because I didn't have the map at first, but then, you know, after consulting a few sources, I was able to realize how the game, you know, was meant to be played right there. We will get onto the onto some of those technical problems which Jeff was talking about in, in a while. Before we do, I feel like we should probably introduce the game to players who haven't heard it, because it is a complicated game. And so, rather than... Uh, task myself with something difficult I thought I would leave it in your hands guests to try and summarise this difficult game to summarise to prospective players and I thought who better than the most articulate man I know Brad Galloway to have a first stab so um, not to put you on the spot Brad too much but how would you summarise the game to prospective players well for people who have never played Nier I would definitely first say that it's a, it's a, a third person action RPG uh, where action and RPG both have an equal role. Um, and I think that uh, the other th- important thing to know is that it has a very involved and, and personal storyline. So people who are looking to get into Nier have to kind of have an open mind at what it brings to the table in terms of gameplay and in storytelling. Yeah. Would anyone else add to that, yeah, Eddie? It's also sort of a, a Frankenstein project, I think, of uh, various genres and approaches to storytelling. I'm going to disagree with Brad a little bit. I know that um, RPG has such a nebulous definition, but um, I tend to think, when I think RPG, I think lots of points and allocations and, and um, crafting a character. And it's, it's pretty simple that way. It's a little bit more like a Castlevania. But if I had to describe it, it, the game that reminded me of most was Beyond Good and Evil, because it's kind of like a Zelda base with a lot of really unique and unpredictable genre mashups connected to it. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it masquerades, you know, just at first glance as an RPG. Because I went into it thinking, "Oh, look, a Square Enix RPG," and then I was like, "No, it's 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 just uh, like this action adventure type thing." Because <laughs> there's really there's no character building really. Um, you you level up, but you're not like Jeff said. You're not uh you're not really allocating any points. You're not doing any of that sort of thing. None of the traditional uh, RPG stuff, I guess. I think the game's um, RPG elements are sort of watered down heavily by the the sort of action they added to it. I think the a lot of it's there, a lot of the the tendencies and conventions are all present, but because of you know how it's presented, you kind of if you walk to it expecting an RPG, you'll come away 
feeling like you've been shortchanged slightly. And that's interesting that you guys have that perspective, because when I think of RPG, I don't necessarily think of like allocating the points and skill building, although that is very true. But to me, what, what makes it more of an RPG is like the, the farming aspect, the, the side quest that you can go on, the way that you kind of have to self-direct about which tasks you're going to do. I mean, maybe I just have a different mindset on it. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that it's, it's not a traditional RPG in that sense, for sure. Yeah, I think I think what Eddie said about the Square Enix thing is a very much a red herring. I think that's that's maybe what it is, and I, I would go. I would also agree with, with what you were saying, Brad. I mean, I'd almost say that there's an element of um, MMORPGness to it actually, uh, in the in the way that you're going through the world, and uh, especially in terms of side quests and fetch quests. And I I, I would suggest, without getting ahead of myself, it's um, commentary although i always feel very awkward saying something is commentary rather than just bad design and knowing you know knowing when it is but i'm sure we'll get into that um i i think action up what we all kind of agree that action rpg is probably not a fair summary there's more to the game than than just that yeah mm-hmm. right um so moving on um because I think one of the things that really interests me about about Nier is trying to work out what what the developers were trying to do with it and what they were trying to say with it and what you know what was the point of it because it's obviously trying to be different. It's trying to to do something. Um, did you guys read much about the game b- before it was released? Did you did you know much much about it? And did you or and and since read playing the game, did you read much of? of uh, you know, say interviews with the developers, things like that. Have you seen much of what Caviar were trying to say about the game? I think when I first approached or first saw it, it was um, a lot of uh, action shots, kind of uh, elements that sort of reminded me heavily of um, Bayonetta, and it kind of seemed like that's what they were chasing in terms of um, you know press coverage. You know, the, it's very much the action elements and the uh, with the bullet hell and the the confusion and. Um, I mean, I, I when I looked at the sort of first shots, I have to confess I wasn't all that interested because I, I don't think it's a game that can be summarised all that well, um, by a screenshot or even by a trailer or two. I think it kind of warrants a lot more uh, consideration than that before you can really judge it. No, that's very true. I would agree with that absolutely. I had the opportunity to to do the main review at our site and I passed because. Number one, I didn't know very much about the game, and, and what little I had read simply left it at action RPG and didn't go into any of the other more interesting elements. And, you know, uh, to be to be frank, I mean, it's not very visually exciting at times. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's an okay game, and it has a certain style once you get into it, but if you were just to look at a few select screenshots, there's nothing about it that would make you say, wow, I really want to play that game. I mean, it's not the best-looking game. Uh, you know, it doesn't have the kind of style that just reaches out and grabs you. Um, so I was actually, I didn't come to the game until much, much later after I had read some things because it was um, our own reviewer who kind of convinced me to get on board with it and hearing the the talk from other people about how good it was, that really convinced me. I mean, I didn't even have it on my list, honestly, and I'm really glad that that changed. Mm-hmm. I generally don't read a whole lot about a great many games before playing them for review and I uh, I had expected to review this game just after seeing you know a few shots of uh, mostly uh, enemy design some of the boss 
characters and the magic effects, and that kind of interested me, although I didn't know a whole lot about it, and I expected it to be, you know, your, your full-on Square Enix RPG. And I started to play it before reading anything about it really early, you know, like right around when it was released, but um, I actually got uh, caught up with other things that were more time-sensitive, so I didn't get around to finishing it until this month. You know, I, I reviewed it the week it came out, so I didn't, I hadn't read a whole lot about it before. I just knew that it was a, you know, again, a square action RPG. So I was kind of worried that it would be a little bit too, you know, quote unquote, RPG-ish for me. And I was really relieved that it wasn't. And the small point of pride, I, I like to think that I convinced everyone to play it. I know that's not true, but it seemed like, <laughs> it seemed like when I was playing it, I, I will admit that I read a couple reviews before I went in because I didn't know that I would be reviewing it um, until like a day, until like right around when it came out. So there was... I do recall reading Chris Schilling's review on Eurogamer, giving it a six. So, but it, it sounded really interesting in that review. So I had a little bit of knowledge on it, but I did not go into it thinking it would be anywhere as near near as good as um, as I ended up liking it. So it was a huge surprise that way. I, I like how you slipped into the uh, into the pun <laughs> from near there. Oh, um, I know I almost <laughs> wanted to correct myself. <laughs> um, what I was going to say is that I I I think I'm going to represent. Uh, I'm, what I'm sure is a fairly sizable chunk of people who uh, probably are embarrassed by having to admit it, but I was one of the people who played Final Fantasy um, 13 the month before his nearest release as a huge you know, Final Fantasy fanboy, uh, coming away utterly disappointed by that game and thinking, you know what, Square Enix, it's going to be a while before I buy one of your games. <laughs> um, and so, so it proved with, with Nier, I kind of stayed, stayed clear of it, uh, especially after <laughs> Justin McElroy. Uh, I had these comments, and uh, I know Jeff was trying to convince me, but I wasn't convinced by Jeff. Uh, wrong. See, it's that Justin McElroy again. He has to atone. I think he <laughs> owes the industry something. You know, I talked to him recently about that, and he said that it was really good other than being garbage. So, <laughs> I, yeah. I, although I kind of felt That's the same. That's not very constructive, is it? <laughs> but it's funny that, in, in you know, what we were saying about, about the reviews, and I think Jeffy brought up another review. I did kind of get that impression from a lot of reviewers that it was, you know, this this idea of yeah, there are good bits, but these bad bits are bad. And it and it and it was disappointing because, again, bringing it to what Michael was saying, I don't think I think a lot of it is this kind of uh, sort of first impressions thing. We we talked about the visuals already. You know, comparing to say Final Fantasy Thirteen, it's just, you know it's like uh, Premier League versus Conference. Uh, <laughs> or for your American friends, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. That doesn't mean anything to it's me. It's like the, the Major League Baseball <laughs> well, versus AAA should... or something like that. Okay, there okay. you go. And I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like it's it's it. I don't want to use the words last gen. It was pushing it, you know. It was, it was. Some of the texturing was quite poor, uh, certainly, and um, the animation was a little bit stodgy. But uh, yeah, it's just this kind of thing where you you play it for an hour and it's you know it's a bit awkward to control and you not it's not the best in terms of telling you what you should be doing next and what you know where stuff on a menu. So it's that kind of game which I imagine would piss off people quite a lot in the first few hours. And I'm I, I just wonder how many do you guys feel like that's what maybe led to lower scores than maybe what some of us feel like near deserved. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's certainly how I feel anyway, in any case. I think the graphics probably turned a lot of people off for sure. Um, I actually didn't think that it was that bad in the beginning. There were, there were some parts that were kind of slow. 
Um, I thought that opening 20 minutes was so interesting and bizarre that it, it kept me wanting to play it, see what would happen next, even if the, the next couple hours kind of take a little bit of time to pick up. Um, but yeah, it's a shame we didn't have maybe more, you know, quote-unquote next-gen graphics, because um, I think the art direction is really inspired for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was wondering because I felt kind of drawn to the art of the game. You know, I, I thought that it was really unique, and that made it interesting for me. And I also feel like that first part um, did a, a fairly decent job of presenting me with at least the general concept of the things that I would be doing, which I think is good in a game like you know like how Metroid games will give you all your powers at the beginning and then take them away from you, you know, just to give you a, fl- a like a little taste of the flavor of the game later on. So that was that was good, although I feel once you got into the the the, the later part of the uh, timeline that they present to you that it started to develop a little bit more slowly once you were, near, you know, once you were playing as the main character in the world that you spend most of your time in. Yeah, for me, the opening scene of the game, when it's set, you know, I mean, you don't really know quite what's going on, but it's not what you expect, because it's kind of like this urban post-apocalyptic thing, Yeah. and when they immediately contrast that with going, like, like, 1,300 years in the future, and it's the same people, I mean, that, to me, was a great way to start, because I was immediately interested, and that right there right away told me that I should just look past any any particular misgivings I may have had. But also, I mean, I, I mean, to, I, to be fair, I can see why a lot of people would not really get into that game uh, from the start. Uh, being the gamer that I am, I really spend a lot of time with um, lower budget games and fringe games because I think that that's usually where you find most of the innovation. And I think that actually holds true with Nier. But, you know, it's, it's not everybody that can put up with you know, bad graphics or texturing or weird controls or even... I mean, I've often heard the main character was ugly. <laughs> I've heard that quite a few times. And, and if that's enough to put you off of a game, well, then I guess you're probably not the right person for that game, right? Yeah. I think another thing about a lot of more seasoned gamers is um, when... I don't know if this is true, but I feel like when we play games, we we try to do as much as we can with the game. And I think jumping in and immediately having all these fetch quests and little side quests available to you that you might get caught up in and then think man I this is just not as cool as I was hoping because I'm doing a lot of inane things that might have turned people off if they couldn't like decide not to do those things because I mean at first I started off doing some of the side quests and I was like um I don't really want to do this but then I just you know I made the conscious choice to not and to continue with the storyline I don't know if that's a factor. I'd say one of the things that, for me, sort of put me off in the in the first few hours is um, because we sort out, you know, how it sort of presents itself. And I, I, for me personally, I see it very similar to to Zelda, and I know Chris, you as well, see it very similar to, to Ocarina of Time. That's the, you know, I got that vibe really very early on in the game, um, and so you get to get these kind of counterintuitive things like. Um, when you pick up uh, certain abilities, or, or uh, and you, it doesn't tell you where to put them, but it gives you tutorials, which you find as you go through the game. You, you know, you defeat an enemy, and you get a tutorial of what you should do with this ability. Or that's strange. That's not how I've never really encountered that in a game design where you find something and you then find a tutorial with it. Or, or it's just it's odd. It's not how I'd imagine most <laughs> developers would approach tutorials in a game. Um, at the same time. 
as it went on, it kind of worked for me. Um, but it's that, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in the first few hours to me, where it just doesn't. It's not what I'm used to in a game, and um, it's a bit difficult to get used to it as well. I think for me that the opening uh, hour or so in the game, the technically as you said, and it's not what you'd expect or not what you'd hope, but the the narrative um, uh, was just so kind of captivating. Uh, especially as you know it's not something you'd expect from a square game it was very mature um and it, it was well, just very intriguing it just kind of grabbed me and i kind of said to myself i'd fight past all of the kind of technical issues um and i'm really glad i did i think if you only play it for 2 hours then get frustrated and leave it's so, you're missing so much it's just such a, a expansive game that has a lot to offer if you're willing to look past its eccentricities just listening to all of us talk about it perhaps it's one of those cases of um, engagement being a choice like we talked about with Lee Alexander in one of our previous podcasts and uh, we seem to be the type who were um, maybe a little bit more determined to find out what this game was all about than maybe some others were and that might have helped us persevere through you know some of the, the earlier things you think the thing is I, I you know the one thing which i feel like when we discussed engagement as a choice and this is comes on off the back of playing alpha protocol um yeah uh which you know is i think a bad game with some really good things in it um and i know brad that you've played the game you're the guy actually really sort of turned me on to playing the game um and it's just it's that thing where um i would quite i would totally understand i, I know what you're saying, Chris, but I would totally understand someone saying with Alpha Protocol putting that down after two hours because it's just there's so it, it's so poorly designed and like Nier's not that bad, but there are things where you just think, well, really, you've, you know, did you put that in a game and it's got past QA things like the the, the menu, which is really unnecessarily complicated in there, and you just think that's why have you let that get to this stage where it's in players' hands and you know it's going to be a problem. Um, that's, you know, I don't want to be totally devil's advocate here, but I do understand, I do to some extent understand people saying, say with Nier and games like it, you know what, I can't get past this stage. Yeah, I, I think it comes back to what I kind of touched on earlier. I mean, I think there's definitely a split in the kind of gamers or reviewers who looked at this, and I think there's a very large segment of people out there who want a game to be fun, period. They want it to grab them. They want it to, you know, walk them through everything they need to be walked through. They don't want to have to work, you know, put everything out there for me, let me have it, and show me a good time. I mean, there's a lot of reviews that read like that, and so any game that is difficult in any any variety of ways inevitably suffers for it. I mean, you can hardly fault developers for trying something new or for or for not having a big budget and, tr- and moving ahead anyway, because they inevitably have the same kind of response from like a large segment of their viewing population and from the the gamer population anyway. I mean, like like everybody is saying here in terms of engagement, you had to approach near with the thought of there's something here that I want to find out about or there's something here that I think is worth investigating. If you come to it thinking, well, I rented this from Blockbuster and I've got it for a day and my buddies are coming over and we got some pizza and beer, so let's see some explosions, <laughs> then you're going to you're going to kick that out of your console pretty damn quick. Yeah. You, you meant to get Call of Duty. I think that was the game you were supposed to try and get. Uh, <laughs> but they were out, right? That's all they had. <laughs> yeah, well, that's Blockbuster on the on the downward spiral. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, so, okay, I, I, moving on from that, uh, 
we're talking about all these things that you know that are to be found in Nier. What are the themes of Nier? What are the, what are these things that can be discovered? What what is special about the game to you? I guess you, I would say. Um, yeah, I wanted to go to you, Chris, first on that because um, I know you, you wrote a piece on uh, on the Chronolidge on a Chrono Ludic blog. Sorry about uh, about the game and a particular aspect of it that you appreciated in particular. Um, trying to think which one that was. The well, the I think with Nier, I kind of saw it as almost like a meta game. You know, it, it for me it was a, a game about games. It kind of cast a commentary on on other titles, which I will admit is probably not the best way to make a game to start with, um, because you know it kind of relies on everybody having some awareness of it. Because um, like the the Legend of Zelda references in there, if you've never played Legend of Zelda, you know if the game suddenly changes its theme or its its playstyle, you know, you're gonna be confused and there's like elements that hark back to sort of the text based games. If you had no idea what it's referencing, you'd I d I don't know how you'd take it really. You'd probably hit yourself on the head with the controller because it just it just seems like this really strange thing for the game to do. Um but I guess it, if you're a gamer that appreciates it and you can kind of see what um Nier's trying to achieve, um you can it just it is a really clever commentary um but i guess for people who don't appreciate it, it it's not hard to see why because the um there's like a isometric um sort of top down element sort of later on in the game that it the point it's making you kind of get quite quickly if you get the reference however they the game itself takes it for a lot longer and i think it's near trade this trades this line between making the point that it's got to make um, and then it actually being bad design. So is it a, you know, are they referencing something, or is it just plainly bad design? I mean, I fall on the side of I think it's, you know, it's clever. It's referencing. It's um, it's doing it all um, intelligently. But I think you know, you, there's a the potential to see it as poor, and a lot of people have done. Can you go into more detail about what you mean about the point it's trying to make? Other than you know, it can look, it can play like Zelda, but. Why do you think they do that? Well, the for me the the main section that um, felt like Legend of Zelda was uh, after was it the village of Facade was it? And they went into the uh, like the temple straight afterwards, and it was just full of these challenges that were set up with very arbitrary rules. You know, you could only use certain moves, or you couldn't run, or or what have you. And I mean, to start with, I was kind of frustrated by it, and it. It made it difficult because, you know, like not being able to run or not being able to use magic is something that, you know, you've been using all through the game so far. But I think the thing that um, twigged with me when you worked out what it was trying to do is one of the challenges, um, I think you had to cross um, what was just lots of um, magic being shot across the middle of the room and you had to get through without being hit, which seemed virtually impossible because you couldn't jump. All I did was ran round it. And... The question that I mean is whether you see that as a bad design or it is kind of saying, "Look how silly this challenge is," because you know the puzzles in dungeons are in in Legend of Zelda and most games are very very arbitrary. You know they often don't mean anything more than just a, a challenge ludically, and they within the the kind of logic of the game they often betray it. You know they just seem completely illogical, and I think that whole section of Nier was quite a large right. commentary on that 
And also, I think it went further than just game design rules and game design, just uh, just arbitrary rules in general. Oh yeah. Like uh, this is getting a little ridiculous. <laughs> right. I mean, I you know, I feel like in it, I I go with you, Chris, as well. That it's it's commentary because of the way the game is such a meta game. You know that we've got there are all these sections which are, you know, at the very least referential to um to other things. You know, you know there's a as we talked on the game of the year show, there's a section where you basically uh, it becomes a text adventure game uh, and there's platforming sections there's the isometric sections like you mentioned um, and it's so specific in terms of you know what what it's trying to ape uh, that it feels like you know when that t- particular section you're talking about with the temple and there are a lot of Zelda references in that section um, you know it, it feels like there's, they've got to be trying to say something with this. It's not just, look, we can put references in, which I think is often, you know, often we see references and think, oh, wow, this is really clever. But I, I feel like um, there's more to, the more I think about Nier, the more I see, in particular, commentary about Japanese games design. Um, I don't know if anyone else sees other things in it, but that's what I see in the game. I don't. I don't know that I would say Japanese game design specifically, but I think that every. I think that I'm on the same level as you and Chris. I mean, specifically with the Zelda thing. I mean, I think he nailed it when he said that the, the entire point of that temple was kind of commentary about how games in general give us these arbitrary rules, and we kind of just eat them up because we're gamers and we're just conditioned to do that after so many years of playing. But if you look at it from an outside perspective, like you know, very little of it actually makes any sense. I mean, especially dramatically. I mean, why would you just, you know, you can't jump, you can't use magic, it's stupid. I mean, it's really stupid. And so when the game gives you the chance to kind of circumvent some of those rules, I mean, I saw people definitely call that out as quote-unquote bad design, but to me, that was the developers certainly saying, well, look how stupid this was, and look, we're aware that it's stupid, so you don't actually have to do this stupid role. So that was, I mean, that was really good. I mean, I think the, the part with the, the Resident Evil call-out was really clever, too. I mean, it kind of, to me, was uh, saying, you know, wow, isn't this whole thing super absurd? Like, isn't this just so crazy and stupid that they're making you do this? And yet, you do it because it kind of it harkens back to what we thought was great design back then. Could you go into, to, could, sorry, could you go into a bit more detail about that Resident Evil, just for people who haven't necessarily played the game? Oh, certainly, yeah. There's one part where you uh, meet one of the characters, and the game uh, adopts these fixed camera angles, and prior to that, the, the camera had been able to be moved like a regular third-person game. Um, like, the, the color palette of the game shifts a little bit, and it, it really harkens back to the first Resident Evil when uh, the controls were really tank-like, and you were going back and forth in a large mansion looking for keys and unlocking doors, and then you f- unlock the door to find another key, and that goes to another door, and you're running back and forth. And, you know, I mean, that gameplay is totally outdated right uh, currently but you know that was that was pretty cutting-edge stuff and pretty exciting back in the day so I thought it was really interesting that they called that out as, as another example of wow isn't this terrible gameplay and we know that it's terrible but you know going through it again is kind of fun um, but the thing that really interested me about uh, Nier's meta commentary was the way and I don't know if you guys agree or not but the way it was kind of dropped about halfway through I was really really enjoying all of the different references that the game had I mean the text adventure the uh, the Diablo style, the Resident Evil style. And then once you get to the last half, or maybe even the last third, there's just no more commentary at all. It kind of reverts to typical um, JRPG uh, structure, which I found to be kind of disappointing. Um, did you guys feel that same way? I I was quite glad it dropped it, actually, at the end, because I kind of felt like they'd, you know, they'd made the point, but they also had this story 
um, that they needed to tell. And I think it probably would have been difficult keeping that high level of sort of dramatic tension if at the same time they're winking and nodding to you about design mistakes from a game that was 10 years ago. Um, and it, I mean, it is an odd change of pace to just switch it, you know, and... But I think, considering um, how mature the storyline was and how dramatic it was, I think ultimately it was for the better because I think to take away from the narrative when it had spent such a long time establishing it with all these massive backstories, uh, it you know they could have jeopardised it. Yeah, it was like they were saying that okay, we've we've shown you some of these things that we think about you know the the history of video games, but it's about time to get down to business and and finish this thing up. That's kind of how I took it. Well, and I think I'm, I'm with Brad in that possibly my favorite thing about Nier is just how completely unpredictable the game is. You never know what kind of thing you're going to be seeing in the next half hour. And I did think the last third kind of um, wasn't quite as good there. It, there's a lot of retreading old ground in it, although it made up for some awesome boss fights and the, the end conclusion um, final levels is really good. But there, there was a little bit of a, of a drop-off, I felt, as well. Okay, I'm going to... I'm gonna... Bit, bit different. I, I don't think it does drop the metagame thing. I think the metagame thing continues into the narrative. Um, and I'll explain. Because uh, for me, as much as the as Nier is aping a lot of different games, uh, you know, we've mentioned Resident Evil and all the sort of you know, twin stick shooter or whatever and and, uh, and Mario if you want to call it, you know, the platforming sections. Um, I go with something which I, I got the impression, Chris, in your article, you, you agree with me that the game is mostly trying to ape Ocarina of Time, or trying to, or, not just necessarily Ocarina of Time, but Zelda in general. Because, like you said in your piece, uh, uh, the first thing you do in the game is you can name your character, which is, you know, it's a direct, that is as direct as you can get in terms of a reference. You know, that that's where that goes. That goes to Zelda. And it's, it's the perspective, it's the fact that you're joined by, you know, this companion which okay weiss is no uh no navi but the, the idea is that it's it's not meant to be navi that's how i i you know it's it's meant to show you how actually having this com- interesting companion makes a whole whole much more you know bigger deal and makes the, the game that much more uh exciting the story that much more interesting and the impression i got and this is going to get into spoiler territory now so i apologize uh listeners if you if you don't have the game spoiled but um the whole last third of the game for me centers on the duality of the protagonist. Um, the fact that there's this, that his past self is essentially doing things for one could say dubious reasons, but then what you can turn that around and say, well, what is this normal self doing to, to protect it also, you know, where the lines between good and evil are not so defined. They're quite blurry. And I felt like that's actually kind of a, a theme for the game in general in regards and I know if Eddie you wanted to talk about this so I'll come to you after this but um, you know there's a the the whole every single sort of subsection is about blurred lines between good and evil and uh, you know where where are the causes and conflicts and things like that there's a lot of commentary on war as well but certainly like I feel like that's for me directly talking about Zelda well it, it's real leap of faith I got the impression anyway that this the the, the the conclusion I came to that um, it's talking about how basically Zelda stories have become traditional, predictable stuff. Uh, you know, it's just always good. You know, plain old good Link saving the day, and this is kind of a trope of, Jap- of, of 
of Japanese ARPG design that you know you have these good characters, uh, you know near perfect characters who go off and save the day and 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 uh, that's it. Uh, whereas Nier is layered and he's not necessarily perfect. In fact, he's probably quite imperfect. Um, I don't know. I that might be my leap of faith, but I know Eddie that, that you had some similar things. I know Chris as well, so I'll go to Eddie first and then Chris. Am I just completely left field on this? Well, I do feel like maybe. We're, we're focusing a bit too much on Zelda in particular in that regard. It feels like a sort of general criticism of a lot of different stories, like a lot of different adventure stories that we're talking about with the with the uh, perfect protagonist and everything like that. Um, but I definitely agree that the the characters here were were much more flawed than one would expect, and I think that's a big part of what makes it interesting to play and to watch, you know, to observe how they interact with each other and how how the story plays out, especially when you get to the point where the game totally challenges everything you were thinking about in terms of who is doing the right thing, you know, and all the reasons that we're we're seeing things happen in this world. Well, if if we're going down the route of characters, I think I was about to say it's one of the most interesting parts of Nier, but it's I think everything's really interesting about it. But the 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 cast is is so uh, seemingly uh, badly put together in a way they they kind of they don't mix at all. They don't really seem compatible on face value, and that's when you it's when you learn that the characters are they they appear to be uh, typical, but they really really aren't. I mean we've touched on um, Nier being this sort of duplicit hero who isn't. You know, a paragon of good. He's actually quite selfish at times, um, quite violent. Um, obviously, the only people he holds close are his daughter and you know his companions, and the rest of the world can go to hell, which you know is not what people are used to. But I think if we look at um, uh, Carne um, as a character, I think we kind of we see a lot of what Nier is trying to do as a game because she's, you know, she's the Typical, almost typical objectified woman within a game, you know, wearing just lingerie, got the heels. Um, it's very sexuality in your face. Um, but the, I think the first teaser trailer in North America was of her foul mouth uh, being displayed, which coming, which coming from a, a Square Enix game, I think shocked quite a lot of people. Um, and I, I think it, it, it kind of, you know, it was the first sign of things to come. But I think when you then find out her like really quite tragic backstory kind of which gets from bad to worse um and then the suggestions that she's a hermaphrodite um and you know she's really aggressive she's probably more lethal than you as a main character can be it's just i don't know it's really good um i know that's probably not a great sum- summary of that but <laughs> so both of you see more is trying to just break tropes not necessarily zelda although maybe maybe where I see Zelda in it is because Zelda is one of the most troped series out there. But is that... Hey guys, it's like the breakfast club of fantasy, okay? <laughs> You're just hurting over there, Jeff. Of all. <laughs> so oh, man. You know, you've got Kane as the, the girl who looks slutty, but is actually a foul-mouthed badass, and uh, the boy who looks really scary, but is actually has a heart of gold. Come on. <laughs> I don't mean that as a criticism. It was awesome. 
I, I would have agreed that the the summary of Connie, you know, she looks slutty, but she's actually really deadly. I think the the fact that she's kind of a hermaphrodite, but is still thrust forward with her femininity. I think that kind of takes it beyond the kind of the crude um, sort of breaking of a trope. I think it potentially offers up more questions, and it. I mean, she's this massive taboo, and you're constantly seeing shots of her arse and stuff that that you really. I don't know, it's kind of quite uncomfortable <laughs> when you realise where it's kind of coming from. But then it, it's it's kind of... I don't know, for me that was a commentary on games like Bayonetta that, you know, will quite happily have a half-naked um, woman jumping about. But I think whilst Nier has that, it, it's not just that. There is much, much more to it. Uh, Sparky Clarkson had this blog post about Connie's character and and how he liked the character but hated her design and felt it was completely at odds. And I would have been inclined to agree until just recently hearing you guys talk that there is a real duality to all the characters. I mean, since we've already gone to spoiler territory um, quite a bit, we can talk about uh, um, Emil, the boy that looks like a, a skeleton, and he's really creepy looking, but is, is very nice. And, and I think Nier himself is a really interesting character that half the time he kind of resembles this brutish caveman, and then there are other times where, where he's very very sweet and, and caring. And I think that all the characters are are very diverse. None of them just stick to being one stereotype. So I think it's... Um, it might not make quite as much sense with Kanye, but I I think that it's pretty easy to understand that she probably wanted, as a hermaphrodite um, or intersex person, she wanted to um, express, like, rebel by being extremely feminine in how she looked. Well, I have to admit, I, I haven't played the New Game Plus stuff, and we'll get on to that whole thing, you know. Before we close the show, I'm sure you're all going to uh, tell me off for not doing that. But, um, uh, you know, to follow on from what, what um, Sparky or, or Michael was saying in his um, in his post, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm with him in that I don't think you can necessarily draw any real conclusions as to what why Kanye is how she is. I go with Chris in that respect. You know, I don't, I don't think it's clear. I think it's deliberately unclear from what i understand of the even from you know the new game plus what i've read um it, it it's i just think it's it's the whole point is you if you make this prejudgment of her you will you know you're going to be proven wrong and i think maybe that you know this is the thing they've been harping on in their in, in their interviews caveat that it's not the game is not what it seems um and i feel that's maybe the the you know, in that respect, they have. <laughs> that's what they've achieved with this game. Because really, you no, know, if you all these preconceptions you can make of the game will get proven wrong over time. And I think the characters maybe are. Cert- I would say are certainly the the biggest proof of that. You know, by the end of the game, you have totally different thoughts on 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 Nier, on on Kanye, on on, on Emil, on Weiss, uh, on on you know every character, any of the major characters. They're not who they were at the beginning of the game, which is fantastic. You don't really see that progression that development of a character where you've got such a different opinion than by the end of a game. We're all speechless after that. That's <laughs> no, a... Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Brad, Nodding you, our you heads a... in agreement. Okay. <laughs> did, did you want to... You were going to make a point earlier, Brad. Do you want to come in with that? Oh, sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I totally agree with what you just said, Sinan, and, and with Kane especially. I mean, you haven't seen uh, the New Game Plus, or the, the first of the following three New Game Pluses, but I mean, that that epilogue is all about Kaine, and my, I'm really, really glad that I went through it, because I did really like Kaine as a character, but then after seeing 
her portion of the New Game Plus, I had an all-new appreciation, and I already did appreciate her, and I think that, that her design, like you guys were saying, is challenging on many levels. I mean, it, she starts off being the, you know, token piece of ass that most, uh, you know, gamers are looking for when they, they want something in their game like that, but then again, you know, there's the issue of her being, uh, you know, this fierce fighter, she's really rough and, and gruff, she's, uh, you know, possibly hermaphrodite, um, and then when you get to her backstory, when it starts unravel, like, you really, really start to see, like, why she is who she is. I mean, maybe not with respect to why she chooses high heels and a, a negligee, although I think that uh, Michael uh, Clarkson is, is on to something about um, hypersexualizing herself as a way of compensating for her, you know, possible intersex status. But I think that just the depth that the writers went to to illustrate Kaine and also the rest of the characters was just, was just really outstanding. And like you said, I mean, you have, if you're paying attention anyway, uh, a really new view and a new appreciation for what characters you know, could and should be in games like that. I mean, like you were saying, uh, you know, the the typical hero says out to do the right thing, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, it's done, and it's just clear cut. I mean, that, I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't really do a lot for me anymore. I mean, you know, I can still play a game and appreciate a hero doing the right thing, but Nier was so much more infinitely interesting for the fact that everybody had multiple sides and multiple motivations and and multiple viewpoints and everything. I mean, that to me, far and away, is, is probably the best thing about the game. You know, even more so than the, the metagame commentary or or challenges to other tropes. Sorry, did I kill it? <laughs> uh, let, let, let's try and resume it, because there is one thing I want to um, touch on before we move on from, from Kanye, because one of the things that... Uh, Michael Race in his post is you know whether it is too challenging the way did, did she necessarily have to be dressed that way for the point to be made about you know tropes and Japanese characters you know in that and and like you were saying Chris as well like it was such a big part of the marketing for the game um, and sales would suggest that it didn't necessarily work uh, in North America um, you know was that maybe pushing the boundaries too far in terms of what the gaming audience is ready for I think that was the point, really. I mean, I feel like they just wanted to dismantle everything that that you came come to expect with the way characters are presented, and just that was that, and they did that, you know, especially with Kaine and her and whatever she was wearing, like, and just the how it contrasted so heavily with her character, and then later on, like, this sort of revelation that she was not at all what you thought. <laughs> And there's just it, it made it could make you uncomfortable and I, I think that's just the point. They just really wanted to break that down and throw it in your face. I think the I think um a lot of the points Nier makes um, you know, by playing off your expectations and then, you know, doubling back on them. I think a lot of when they do that is they, they do really run the risk of um shooting themselves in the foot rather than drawing more people in. Um but yeah, certainly with Kano, I think they offer you to her and then kind of go, ah, see, you didn't notice that bit, but you feel really weird now. No. <laughs> That's what they seem like they do. Um, and I, I, you know, when I, I mean, uh, a lot, the fact that she was intersex wasn't kept as much of a secret, but the game doesn't really explicitly say it. It only hints, I think, am I right? Even in the, the new game plus, it doesn't. No, it never comes it. right out and says it now. The developers have which, since come out right and say it, and say yeah. it, yeah, but not in the game, no. Okay. Which I, I kind of wish they didn't, because the fact that when it's an enigma, it's much more powerful than when it's, um, you know, outright fact. Right. Um, right. And it 
it's less likely to repulse people so much as well. That's a good point. I mean, there was there was the one line about um, her her childhood tormentor saying, "Why are you acting like a girl? We know what you are." And you know, at first I took that maybe to mean that she was already part shade or something, but then it reveals that that wasn't the case because she was infected later. Um, so it's sort of like a, a, a deductive way of of letting you know what's really going on. You just kind of have to keep piecing together the information that they give you and just come to that conclusion. Okay, so let's let's move on from kind of one of the other one of the other themes I noticed. And I don't know if, again, you know, but I appear to be a bit left field in this game with my last uh, <laughs> uh, observation. <laughs> but I I certainly felt like uh, the game was talking about war a lot, um, getting a bit Kojima on us um <laughs> did, did anyone notice that or, or is that just me maybe reading a bit too much into the superficial nature you know superficial sort of uh, mentions of war in the game i didn't get that honestly uh. okay <laughs> I, I find mention of war in a in a japanese game is it passes me by a lot now because uh, i think a lot of them are kind of anxieties hanging over sort of um, World War Two and the H bomb and stuff. I don't know. It's just I stopped noticing it. Maybe that is it. I, I do think actually the more what I see, the more I could probably pin to that. It's funny. I actually the the one thing I it's been a while since I played the game, so that has come to the top of my head. But now that you mention it, I can think of a part about that. But it's a part of the new game plus mode that you haven't played, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, Right. Should, should we should we get onto the new game plus then? Since obviously, well, actually, sit down. I want to hear um, where where you were coming from without having played the new game plus. Where, where you're latching onto there? Okay. Well, I mean, what the impression I got, um, not just not in terms of the, it's not just what it seems, is that with a lot of the sub stories, say the the story of um, Emil and his uh, his sister, I think, or the person who's the other subject or whatever, and they're going to both be weapons. Um, I got this impression of it, it it was talking about you know uh who built their weapon first right um you know and I thought that was kind of a a commentary on well what's the real cause of a war you know if you look back on a lot of major wars in history you can't really it's difficult to say well who pissed off who first you know um and I I maybe now that Chris has mentioned what he's mentioned that I kind of think yeah that makes quite a lot of sense when you think about what, how World War Two started um, and uh, yeah I, and I got that impression of a, a lot of it was all the conflicts there seemed to be sort of a confusion as to well who was at fault and why, where was the where was the actual cause um, and I that's why it's predominant for me like probably if I could go back with a game and really think about each sub story like I'm. I think as well. Maybe you know the 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 the, the, um, the temple and and the prince and the little girl that gets killed and, and that whole thing. Again, I think it applies there. You're not quite entirely the whole thing about rules and stuff. It all seems to point to well, hang on. Why? How do we even get to this position anyway? You know. Um. And that's maybe where I'm reading maybe a bit too much into. But I I, I don't know. That's a, that's what I saw anyway. Maybe it's more about. The generalities of, of different uh, types of political rule, you know, in terms of uh, decisions being made for a nation, um, uh, specifically with within facade and having this whole set of, uh, you know, just just the the organization of their society, and then how maybe 
Nier mentions at one point something about being able to change rules, um, maybe hinting at um, democratic governance over over other more strict and uh, bureaucratic or authoritarian forms of rule. I, I got that a little bit, which sort of plays into the idea of war, because, I mean, those things go together. Yeah. I was going to say I didn't really pick up on on war that much uh, as a general theme, but I think I think the the thing you're kind of referencing, Sinan, was what I kind of just saw as the game's penchant for for illustrating both sides of every story. I mean, like you know, in the facade, you think that the wolves are are, are evil, and that you know you're conditioned as a player to just think that they're the bad guy and not to question their role. But then once you you know you get a little bit of information on the wolves and you start to see that they have a side too. And I mean, it's, it's like that with everything in the game that is especially revealed in the new game. Plus when, when you think that things were so clear cut, you know, uh, and, 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 and simple and they turn out to not be. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I would say war exactly, but I think definitely portraying both sides of the story was a very important theme in, in every aspect of near. Right. Maybe that, that is me sort of, you know, transitioning from conflict into war because it happens in a couple of the stories as, you know, the weapons and stuff. Okay, you mentioned New Game Plus. I know I, I, every time I've said to anyone who's played Neo, I didn't get the time to play the New Game Plus. It's like, what? How could you say you, you played the game then? I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't want to get into you telling me that, that you're, I'm, you're, you know, I'm right to feel bad about not playing. What I'm more interested in is the idea of putting a lot of your game into this extra mode and whether it's you know a valid way of doing a game um what what are your guys thoughts on that does does the new game i know it's not you know near's not the first there are other games with new game plus modes but it seems to do so much more with its new game plus mode what do you think it, it works is it a valid way of uh approaching a game can I uh, offer up something that might not go down too well in the fact that the new game plus might in itself almost be a commentary on the you know the fact that in a lot of games you are you have to replay it to kind of just unlock maybe a little bit extra or another weapon or it I mean asking you to replay a game of any length after you've completed it is quite a big ask for those who you know aren't willing to uh, I think if you're a big RPG fan then it's something you're actually quite used to you know carry on playing after game end and I think the fact that the content in the new game plus in any other game really should have been in it because it's so important to the backstories um, and it's so significant. I don't know, I just kind of feel like they're saying, well, in almost a in almost a bad design sense in a way that, you know, you're not getting it all unless you do play it again and again and again. But that was all very intentional. Yeah, I think with Nier it, it makes sense because that what they're doing it, throughout the game is that they're sort of creating an enthusiast in the player and then something like a new game plus really appeals to that sort of approach to content is you're unlocking you know the history and the the mystery and the stories and everything um coming back to it seems like uh, just another game you know in terms of the game that you're playing with yourself and the story and and piecing things together becomes quite enjoyable i think for people who would latch on to something like that and i do like the way that the game has its new game plus start in the middle of the story or even it's sort of towards the end of the gameplay well eddie let me ask you this then um one thing that i noticed playing through the new game plus was like i felt terrible I felt really bad in a lot of those situations because the game shows you a side that you didn't see before 
and you all of a sudden you feel like god why oh you know i beat that boss and i thought it was all great and cool the first time and now i feel awful for doing it and do you think that like you said in creating that enthusiast the first time through do you think they were kind of popping that bubble as they brought you back the second time to say hey don't be don't be too high and mighty there because actually what you did was was really bad stuff i mean did you did you think that at all yeah i think that's that's definitely a possibility i mean that's that's sort of the theme one of the themes that the game brings to the table is is uh you know challenging your perspective i mean it does that really at the very end of the first game of the main game especially but then i guess it continues through the new game i didn't play through the whole new game plus but i did go through kaine's story and uh, a couple of the earlier battles but yeah definitely but it sounds like listening to to all what you're saying, and I'll come to you, Jeff, sorry, in a second, but it just sounds like listening to what you're saying is it is an argument against the new game, plus. It is, it's, it, it's, you know, it's more to say that, um, you know, you it, like what Chris was saying, especially, it, that it, you, if you can't get the whole experience in the first time, then maybe that's you're not doing it right. Essentially, I, I would argue that though, because I don't think there was a way for that story to be told except for a new game plus. I mean, what do you guys think? Because you had you had to you had to go through the game. You had to get your first perspective in order for that perspective to be shattered. There's no way to tell two perspectives at once in that style. I don't think. I mean, do right. you guys agree? Disagree? Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd necessarily say there's no way. I wouldn't want to, you know, be so quick to to, to say there's no way, but to have the intended impact. I wrote a piece about this a, a while ago after the game came out that one of the most interesting things about the new game plus is it totally shifts the perspective mostly to Kaine. There's also some cutscenes with the bosses where you see flashbacks of their backstory. But for those who haven't played it, new game plus starts with oh, several short stories, um, both chapters about Kaine's childhood, and then it picks up from the second half of the game. So in almost every scene, except for the stuff of the main village, Kaine is present. And this time we get to hear the... Um, the little creature that's possessing her um, speaking in her head. So it's you're still going through the same plot, but you're you're hearing it from an entirely different vantage point. And I think that, um, to be honest, I think that maybe one of the reasons they had to do it this way, and I pretty much entirely wrong about this, but it might have just been for budget constraints. I think it would have been cool if you actually played as Kanye, and maybe they just had, you know, a, a cutscene of her in a meal at a campfire when um, you went to the village or something. But still, for almost the entire game she's there you know in the in the group and we're just seeing what was going on in her head that entire time yeah i i definitely agree what you're saying about the the budgetary constraints and the fact that it felt like uh the new game plus was a way of getting all this backstory that they'd already written in there somehow because i i mean i agree with brad as well you're not going to be able to portray every single perspective the first time round because it would just be an ungodly mess um, but at the same time, the fact that, that the start of New Game Plus was like chapters of text in a video game, that uh, not the greatest way of telling a story. I mean, it just happened that it was actually quite well written, so that saved it slightly. But I think it, it does kind of show that they were possibly an afterthought, or perhaps they you know, hadn't convinced Square to give them a little bit longer to make something more substantial out of them. I just think that maybe they could have abbreviated it even more, but I think that the idea was, was dead on of doing it the same story from another perspective. And I, I really enjoyed reading about it. You know, just sitting there and reading was fine with me. I forgot that I was playing a video game at that point. I was like, oh, cool, let's, let's read this story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily. I, I feel I, I want to counter what you were saying, Chris, about you know text being necessarily a bad way of presenting, you know, a story in a game. I, I don't know. I feel like that that got a lot of um, traction after Lost Odyssey and the way it presented its stories in this game. Like, I don't know. I quite the more I reflect on it now, the more I sort of think actually I did really enjoy <laughs> reading all those stories in Lost Odyssey. And you know, you don't get enough actual. I don't know, time to just sit down and take your time with a, a, a bit of storytelling in a game, you know, it's all move along now when, when you're, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I can see your point about the Kanye stuff, although I did think it was really well written, but I thought the use of text earlier in the game was really well done. Um, for those who haven't played it, there's a part where it kind of goes almost sort of Nightmare on Elm Street style, where you, you wake up in somebody's dream, and you'll find letters and the, the language is all messed up, and they'll start saying the word dream again and again, and then you start hopping inside people's heads, and it's all done in text, and usually that seems kind of like a, a cheap way out, but because it's a dream, I, I feel like dreams aren't that visual, they're just kind of a feeling, and I think that by not showing it to you and leaving it up to your imagination makes it even more surreal, and was a, a really cool way of portraying something like that. I think that the... I mean, I wasn't... Um saying um that all text in games is bad but i think the the way that the, the text adventure plays out works really well because of what it's doing i i i kind of when i saw um the um the text start at the um new game plus i kind of did wonder whether they were you know pulling us back into that like uh, text adventure state which they didn't seem to do um and i think no i think it worked earlier on but i think in the new game plus whilst i enjoyed it um, I thought it could have possibly been done differently um, but I think the fact that it was at the start of the new game plus rather than you know vast walls of text all the time possibly redeemed it it's Mauler's collection of great gaming podcasts. It's more than just a large community of smart, friendly gamers. It's more than your average gaming experience. Whatever you get from your current gaming experience, get more. Listen. Okay, so before we close, uh, just a couple of f final things to touch on. Uh, Chris, I know you wanted to talk about the side quests in there because um, I think it's you were saying it's something I mentioned on the Game of the Year show in terms of how I felt like there's this... I think it's what we were talking about it before. There's this fine line between commentary and bad design. I've, I always put No More Heroes forward as this, you know what, well, that's just bad design. You can't say it's commentary because it's just a I can't play the game because it's that badly designed. Is that something you agree with or disagree with regard the side quests in, in there? I think, I've, well, um, I, I agree what you said on No, um, no More Heroes, but um, with Neo, I, it's interesting because I think the point that I had to put forward, it's not going to convince everybody because I think if you were to uh, be one of those completionists that has to do the side quests, you, you're going to feel like you've been really punished after playing it. And, and rightly so, because they are rubbish. Um, but I think the 
the kind of remarks that the characters make at you and uh, especially what Vice says you know when he goes you know your daughter's dying you're, you're going to kill sheep for this man or whatever and it, I think after you do a couple of side quests the game in itself tries to tell you to stop doing them <laughs> And I, I kind of, I, I really, I really felt that, especially, especially through um, Vice's commentary, because Vice is this all-powerful magical book that apparently knows everything, mm-hmm. but all he can do is make sarcastic, sarcastic <laughs> quips and insult people. And I think if, oh, and that, and he's an inventory menu system, but as you've already said, that was terrible anyway. But um, I think you know, if you're going to take um, Vice's, uh, you know, what his character is meant for in the game. Um, listen to him. Don't don't go and help the man find some more sheep, or don't don't do that seemingly pointless fetch quest because it is pointless because the it never pays off. Well, I mean, I I agree with you to an extent. I think that's true, especially with you know Vice talking to you about the just the nature of what you're doing, and even NPCs in the game will say. I have actually two quotes. One's you're the guy who does every who does whatever people ask him to, right? And then someone else <laughs> says you're that desperate guy who will take any job that comes along, no matter how stupid or demeaning. I was like, wow, did the game really just say that? That's so awesome. But um. In a, in a lot of ways, the the side quests are, I, I said it before, they're just like dumb, like inane, stupid. You know, you do, you don't really want to do them. But in other ways, they they pay off with uh, little little chunks of narrative that let you see a little bit further into the world. And I mean, the the interesting thing is they'll range um, in their rewards from like maybe a a few pieces of gold to like a massive amount. I had to kill this one shade that was relatively easy right outside of the town gate and I got, you know, 10,000 gold right just within I don't know, 5 minutes. And it's so strange that the the quests are so inconsistent like that and I think that's part of what you're saying about the game telling you how how uh maybe silly these the fetch quests are and how like arbitrary they can be. But I, I did like some of them because of the reward I got in terms of uh, narrative, like the, the tidbits of things that I, I learned from fetch quests, like the one with the dog. You know, it was just really heartfelt about this dog dying and then a uh, his uh, master dying, things like that. Wait, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I gotta say one thing. I have to say this. I agree with both of you guys. I think you're both correct. But one, th- the one thing I wanted to say was, I've heard many, many, many reviewers and many players say that they hated the side quests, and I just found it completely baffling that they hated the side quests and yet could not stop doing them. Yeah. For me, it was very easy to stop. I did a couple, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm done. Let's go to the main plot, move on. Yeah. And I was just stunned at how many people, literally, it must be pathological. They could not stop doing the side quests, even though they hated them, railed against them. You know, reviewed them poorly, and yet still did them. That to yeah. me was the ultimate commentary from Nier. It's so strange. Were these the people that that were expecting a normal Square Enix RPG? Then, if they, you know, they just can't help themselves but grind and fight. Oh yeah. Let me leap to the defense of these people. <laughs> be one of these people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I managed to stop myself from doing too many. I think I did about five or six, and I I obviously didn't do quite enough to see the point you, Chris, and Andy made. I I didn't really get that. Um, Maybe I just I didn't pick up on it, but you know it's hard <laughs> to get out of the RPG mindset. You see a side quest and you think, if I don't do the side quest, I'm not going to get the treasure at the end of the side quest. And maybe near 
proved its bloody point with me. But um, <laughs> when I, you doesn't mean I have to like, like it, you know. <laughs> but when you get given a handful of seeds or some other pointless thing, I mean, I I didn't get any of the quests that had like the massive payouts. But obviously, that's not to say they're not there. But it just I didn't need to side quest because usually the the need to side quest is to get more loot. Um, to level up, blah blah blah, bits like that. But Nier doesn't need it. I think I I did the mandatory side quests about two more, and I completed the game. It's like they had the weapon crafting as well. I think I did the two obligatory ones, but no more. And it didn't make the game any more difficult. Right. The, the ultimate comparison in my head is is um, Fable Two, where you've got you know <laughs> this game which is so easy, ridiculously easy, and yet you have every time you've got this golden breadcrumb trail leading you along, and these paths splitting off, and every time you pass, you just think, "What am I missing?" Oh. Not like, and you don't miss anything. There's nothing of any <laughs> great use there, but you just it nags at the back of your head. I, I, I really kind of hate that game design because it show it exposes the crappy player in me <laughs> has to go after all these paths as like an idiot. You so, got to break um, the cycle, Sinan. Break the cycle. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to. Like a tender group or something. I don't know. There must be. There must be more like me. I'm sure we'll we have an intervention. Yeah, exactly. I actually found them hilarious. Some of the side quests when when I thought that I was going to go. Okay, let me go do this, and then I get you know the second part. You know where it starts to be like this whole big Goron sword sort of sequence, and I'm like, <laughs> forget that piece. <laughs> you know, it's just it was just funny. <laughs> I'm going to intervene in this discussion and move on quickly because we're we're already overrunning. I'm going to go to our last point, uh, Mr. Enzato, because you were mentioning it earlier in your happy, uh, sunny overtones of uh, death and pain and suffering because you think that Nier is all about death, basically. Give us a kind of a brief summary of what you what you mean. Okay, so, so quickly, um, I felt like one of the main themes that I drew from Nier, along with the the change of perspective and, and challenging the way you see things is just uh, loss and just pain and suffering and, and death in general. So many of the characters die. Um, you know, Yona's is sick and everything, and then a bunch of side characters die, and even even uh, you know your main your main supporting cast dies uh, throughout the game here and there. Some of the bigger characters and it's it's always presented in a in a super sad way even when you kill some of your enemies like the game focuses on that death blow and particularly one that i i remember is with the wolf the lead wolf when near delivers the final blow on that wolf it's like bam this thing is dying by your hand and 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 then you know all the other people throughout the game are really suffering and it's crazy i mean even even yona exhibits like this sort of internal pain she says don't hate me for this you know being sick i mean that is so painful i mean as you're playing as a father and your daughter's telling you don't hate me for for being sick and dying i mean did it, did you guys pick up on on this whole feeling throughout the game Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that was just yet again. I mean, we keep saying this over and over, but this was just one more example of near bucking tropes and bucking trends. I mean, rather than everybody having a happy ending at the end of the game, credits roll, everybody's saved. I mean, you know, this it's like the opposite. Like almost no one is happy. I mean, even even near himself, even though you know in one of the endings he gets what he wants. I mean, he's still not quite happy, and and nobody's happy. And to me, not only is that really indicative of what true life is really like, because life in general is, can be really miserable sometimes, but it was just, it was so nice and refreshing 
to, to have it be so black and negative. I mean, <laughs> maybe that sounds crazy, but, you know, I do get tired of the happy endings. And, and this was one where the situation was such that there just was no positive outcome for, for almost anybody. And, and that was that was a great challenge, I thought. Right. And I think it, it um, when we were talking about side quests, this is something that comes through in the side quests a lot. Uh, a bunch of them were about things like this. Like one example was uh, a man's whole family was killed by shades and another one, the, the dog and the master died. And another one, another one was about uh, like an abusive drunken father forcing his children to commit crime around the village. Um, so it, it, it really go, goes into a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different struggles. I mean, I've, I, I, I really have to, you know, underline a second and uh, cheer what Brad says because I think that's a big problem with games. I, feel I really, specifically happy endings. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it mm. feels like I've, I don't know. It's almost like you just wonder, does the publisher see a, a, an ending like Nears and think, well, that's not going to get people coming back for a sequel, you know? And I, <laughs> it's just I can't really think of that many games which have which have really sad endings. Not like you know. I've just played. No, I'm not going to spoil it. But the Assassin's Creed games. No, you know what? That's a whole other discussion, and we're already over running. <laughs> but like, we could do a whole show on game endings. Instead, I think I'm going to do an ending to a show. Uh, so on that uh, spectacularly segued note, I'm going to um, thank everyone who's uh, who's contributed to today's show. Thank you so much, Mr. Brad Galloway, Mr. Jeffrey Metliff, Mr. Eddie Zotto, and Mr. Chris Green. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, before I let you all go uh, to either sleep or um, to sober up in some cases, <laughs> uh, um, we should do some quick plugs. So I'll go to, to Brad first um, because... Uh, I think it's it's bedtime where Mr. Galloway lives. So, um, Mr. Mr. Brad Galloway, where can we find more of you? Well, uh, you can see my reviews at GameCritics.com. I uh, do quite a bit there. And if you want to read more of my ramblings that are not quite uh, review-worthy, but just kind of me babbling about different things, you can see my blog at uh, DrinkingCoffeeCola.blogspot.com. To uh, Jeffrey Matleff next. Um, Jeff, what are you doing? Where can we find you doing it? Um, well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for the, the end of the year show where Zan encouraged me to finish Red Dead Redemption because I just wrote about that for a piece on Eurogamer on why I hate Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so that just, Sorry, Zan. <laughs> that, that was cool about it. He, he liked it on Facebook. Good for him. Um, so that, that just went up the other day. Um, I've been doing some work for Pace lately, just reviewed Two Worlds 2 over there. I saw Brad review the same game on Game Critics. And um, still doing stuff at Game Set Watch and G4. In fact, oh, I'm going to be reviewing Knights, Con- Knights Contract at G4 sometime soon. On to, on to Chris. Uh, Chris, you have a fantastic podcast, a fantastic blog. Can you please send us there? Oh, I wasn't aware it was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Um, oh, I, I'm here to tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, chronoludic.com. Um, I shan't spell it, but that's it. Um, that's where uh, myself, uh, Mr. Mike Dunbar, and Mr. Seb Vupa uh, blog and podcast and such. Uh, I encourage you to check out uh, the other guys' work as well, um, because there's some good stuff. Uh, also, occasionally on GamerDork now, I sort of post on there. Uh, gamerdork.net so check it out 
Fantastic. And thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show. We hope we can uh, persuade you to come on again. I'm sure you can twist my arm here. Fantastic. <laughs> um, and we should say uh, uh, hello to our UGN friends before I go over to Eddie, um, to, to Game and Dork, to Digital Cowboys, to Ninja Fat Pigeons, to Game Burst, and to the most popular girls on the internet. You should check all of them out because they're just uh, really very sexy people. Um, Eddie Inzato, uh, Gamer Node, what's going on over there? Gamer Node. Well, if you go to uh, BigRedPotion.com, which is now an official part of, of Gamer Node, I guess we could say. We're partnered. Um, you can slide down on the side and find my link to my personal column at Gamer Node. But we also do a ton of uh, video gamey stuff over there. A lot of reviews. We do uh, daily industry news. All, all that same great stuff that you want to see. Fantastic. And I'll very quickly say that... Um I think uh, I'm probably going to be flooding play.tm with work across March. So if you want to see uh, some reviews by me, you should go over there. Otherwise, you can find me at shoinan.com, S-H-O-I-N-N.com, where I'm still doing one a day. Uh, at the time of recording, I've failed to write my 50th post in time, so I'm going to have to write that after this. Um, but I'm not really that fussed about sticking to deadlines. I've So yeah, if you want to check out a lot of rambling by me which uh you get enough of probably on this show but if you want more you can go to my blog uh otherwise enjoy the games you're playing and we'll talk to you soon bye for now <laughs>